for five at certainly like it's not consuming me like yeah. 20 I know I gotta be patient yeah I'm still patient <laughs> Hi, welcome to The Price of a Mile. I'm Woody Kincaid, and today we'll be joined by our guest, Mohamed Ahmed. Mo is Somali Canadian who runs professionally for Bowman Track Club in Portland, Oregon. And at only 26 years old, he's already been to two Olympics. He was at the London Olympics in 2012 and the Rio Olympics in 2016. In the Rio Olympics, he was fourth in the 5,000, just a few seconds short of a bronze medal. Just my impartial opinion, but I think Mo is one of the best distance runners that Canada has ever produced. Um, and he's had quite an interesting past. So if you like what he says, make sure to reach out to him at Mo Speed on Twitter. And thanks again for Sidious Mag for putting on the podcast every month. Let's get straight to the show. We are in Moe's house. Matt Hughes is asleep downstairs, so we have to keep it kind of quiet. Meantime, what, when do you race? In two days? Two days, yeah. So, yeah, so we're distracting Moe until he races in a Diamond League race in just a few days. Why don't we just jump into it? Yep. Yep, let's do it. A little bit about who you are. Are you Canadian Somalian? Somali Canadian. Yeah. (laughs) Hyphenated, you know. When, When did you move to Canada? Uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, in 2001, uh, me, my mom, three brothers, and a cousin of mine uh, moved to uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, which is still home. That's where my uh, my mom, my dad, actually my dad joined us in 2008, um, live. And so, yeah. You didn't see your dad for seven years? Uh, eight years. From what I remember, you know, like we lived in, in Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, and, you know, from what I remember... I, I thought we had a, you know, good life. You know, I had friends. The sun was beautiful. My, my like, lived with my parents, my brothers. Um, my mom was just like, we're moving to, to Canada. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and honestly, like, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. But, you know, it wasn't my choice. So we, we moved to Canada. And what did you know about Canada before this? Not too much. And, you know, the really interesting thing was, um, you know, we moved the beginning of winter, November uh, of 2001. And obviously we, that, that was a brutal time to, to come to Canada because that's one of the colder or the beginning of the colder months. And <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up 9-11. Oh, that too. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was, yeah. Well, yeah, that was another thing. It was... It was tough, honestly. Like, I think we weren't really prepared clothes-wise, you know, f- for Canada. But, you know, we we managed and eventually, like, you know, me and my, my three brothers, uh, you know, we were 10 and 7 
we learned the English language fairly quick, um, adapted to the to the culture and the city fairly quick because we can we've we learned like English in I don't know four or five months that we were there. We can. Well, you, did with, you speak English in Kenya too? No, no, we didn't. No, no, not a single, not a single word uh, when we came to Canada. When you go to school, when you make friends, it was fairly easy to to pick up the language. But you know, I think my, for my mom, it was a little bit harder for her, you know, because and and mainly because she didn't have like uh, my dad wasn't there with us, so it was kind of it was it was hard. And obviously, like four boys, like dealing with four boys, like that's that's extremely hard in a very unfamiliar place. Yeah, mom's a, mom's a warrior. I asked Mel why his mom left Somalia. She left the country as a refugee during the Somalian Civil War in 1991. That year, rebel groups overthrew the standing government of Somalia, forcing many refugees to escape to Kenya. Oh, yes, yeah. So the the war happened in 91, pretty much when I was born. And, like, my mom and dad fled, fled that and came came to Kenya. Honestly, I, I never really, like, you know, had too many deep conversations with my parents about that. I, I feel like it's it's a negative point in their life so I never try to bring it up so um, I was too young obviously I was like two months old or something like that when when we left eventually like with the help of like family members overseas you know we were able to like settle into into the city and for me like you know my early uh, memories are in in Kenya like Nairobi and you know my, my two bro- three brothers were born there and from you know what I remember it was good memories you know we had love my mom loved us, my dad loved us, and mm-hmm. it was good, so, yeah. Were you, uh, did you have, like, enough resources? Did you have food and water every day, or were you... Oh, yeah, absolutely, I think so. Um, the thing is, like, you know, when fairly everybody is about, like, the same means, like, has the same means, like, you don't really feel, you don't feel like you're missing anything, and I think, I think we had as much as anybody else that, that lived in our surrounding area obviously like my my mom and dad to create better opportunity and a better um, future for their for their kids um, you know they chose to uh, to leave Kenya for Canada you know and you know that's a decision that I had nothing to do with and it was a decision what I, I describe it as like you know made out of love you know by loved ones for me like I didn't have any input into that decision but I'm glad my life has been made better because of it. So, and I'm internally grateful for Canada to, for welcoming us with open arms and, you know, a lot of the people that helped us in, in those early years. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What, what, what was it like right when you got here? It was tough, obviously, just because it's a different place. Still, you know, despite like me and my, my younger brothers, like, picking up the language a little bit like it was still it was still different obviously we missed the sun uh, I mean everything was just kind of a shock right like you know mm-hmm. it was a it was a country that was predominantly white you know so you don't really see a lot of people of of similar hue especially in the city that I that we chose to settle it was kind of, it was hard and there wasn't a lot of Somalis in in that area too. So a lot of a lot of the time we kind of, was kind of spent with each other and at school I don't think I didn't we didn't really feel picked on or anything like that and you know despite obviously like you know nine eleven happening I don't know what two months before that like 
there was the fears out there, you know, about like, I think, I think more than anything, like my mom was, was the only one to experience some sort of Islamophobic acts, I guess, if you, if you could say like, or, or glares at least, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if nobody said anything to her directly, like, you know, there's, there's the glares, you know what I'm saying? People look at you, you know, cause my mom wears like the hijab and, and everything like that. Us is just like, oh, it's another young black fella. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't think they could discern like who we who we are really you know just because of my name like i've always been like questioned held aside sent to like extra screening rooms secondary screening rooms asked questions like about my place of birth like my name pretty much something you know sometimes my religion and in all these things um i don't know if you would say that specifically or directly like islamophobia or whatever but i mean I mean, the name is Muslim, so, and I am a Muslim, so, um, yeah, there, I mean, certainly there is prejudice. All right, well, then you, you've been, you've been here since you were 10, essentially. Yep. How did you start running in Canada? I went out for track and field days, you know, I think in the States, you guys have that as well, right? Like elementary. We have field day. Like track and field day, no? Like field day is just... <laughs> This capitalist, all of a sudden, it's like the Hunger Games uh, for one day of the year where you just have to compete as hard as you can against all your best friends and you get like medals for winning the 40 and kicking your shoe the farthest. It was like pretty brutal. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what track and field day was um, for us. And I mean, you had to do it. And I, first time that I, I did it was grade six. And I remember I was terrible. Like I was bad like i was one of the worst kids uh, <laughs> for running um i still had a lot of baby fat at that, that time too so a lot of pictures from that i don't know like i was chubby and, and everything so i wasn't really that good and then grade seven i went out for cross country i competed all the way to like dsbn which is like our district board district board district board of niagara i wasn't that good like i mean i might have been okay like when i got to like grade seven and eight for my school but i wasn't i wasn't really that good uh i was somewhere in the middle of the pack i think cross country i was like 15th or something like that in grade eight and i was probably like top 10 maybe in track and field as well Um, and i think we did like the 800 and 2004 I think that was my grade 8 year what I remember is like I that was like 2004 Olympics and I watched you know I pretty much spent the whole summer watching track and field and just the Olympics um, with my brothers in the basement in our basement that was one of the most inspiring events that I ever witnessed and that pretty much instilled a bit of love for track and field I definitely was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be as good as I could be. But I obviously I wasn't that good because there was no sort of, no training, nothing. It was just kind of ability at that point. And I wasn't really, I didn't really grow. I wasn't growing. I was really tiny, skinny guy at that point, and what have you. I remember I wrote in my graduation yearbook, grade eight. I was like, I was like future occupation or something. Like, Go to the Olympics or something like that. And I think mainly that was because I watched the Olympics that summer, the summer before. And grade nine, I went out for the cross country team. 
And that was like my first time really like kind of being introduced to a little bit of training. I was good. You can kind of tell that I had a little bit of ability and my coaches at the uh, at collegiate, the high school that I went to, um, definitely could tell that I could be good at it. But like I was naive as anybody at that age. Mm-hmm. And the two coaches at my high school, Mr. Wakalich, Mr. Arch, like they would run with me. Uh, they would just take me on the on these training runs, like, and I had no idea, like, I, how to return back to the school. And I would just be hanging on <laughs> to them, like seven k, five k, like just. And I'm like, the only reason why I finished those training runs was I was like, I have no idea, like, how to get back to school. If I if he drops me right now, there's no way. And that's how I got training and and what have you. And I missed going into provincials you know a lot of the canadians that are from ontario they'll they'll mention ofsa which is it's bigger than the olympics i mean it was that back in in high school canadians yeah i missed it by one spot like i went to like south region which is southern ontario and i finished sixth and i missed it by one spot and i was like dang it like that winter of grade nine i played basketball and then the spring i came back for track and field. And actually, that's when I really got good. You can say spring of my grade nine year, I was like, okay, I, I got pretty good. I won my like my district. I won South Region. I won all those things. I ran like 920-something for 3K, which isn't that fast, but... As a true freshman. As a true freshman, uh, without really any sort of training. Well, you finally put in a little bit of base. A little bit of, yeah, a little bit of base, yeah. Like that winter, I played a lot of basketball. I didn't really, wasn't training. I was introduced to a little bit of workouts right before, like two weeks, three weeks before those meets. And I, and I actually made the provincial meet for track and field. And then eventually that summer, I actually joined the club, like the Canada is big in the club system. So you don't really, unless you have a really good established high school with a good coach um, and good team, you got to go go to a, like a club to train with. And pretty much I trained with like all the kids that I was racing against mm-hmm. in my region. That summer I got to travel all over Ontario and really got introduced to track and field for real. Yeah, so and ended up winning offs a couple times. Um, made, I think, almost 10 like junior teams, Canadian junior teams. So I really got to experience international competition with meteoric success, I asked him how his family now felt about his running career at this time. What'd your mom think of all this? Your dad was finally here too. <laughs> so your dad got here when you were a senior, uh, senior in high school. Senior in high pretty school, pretty much. Yeah, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay. So he really had no idea. Like he would, I would like we would tell him like, he's back in Africa. So we would call him, and you know, he would have like conversations over the phone and. Mom would tell would tell him like how we're doing, what we're doing, and and stuff like that. But my, like honestly, like my mom was just like, okay, cool. Like you know, it was something that my mom didn't really force me into it. It was kind of like my own decision to do it, and she didn't care whether I continued it or whether I dropped it. It it didn't matter honestly. Like more than anything, she was she was just like a typical like recent immigrant parent, which is do well in your school. Like that's number one priority for you. Um, you can do whatever the hell you want, but if if your school is not good, we will have a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And then you went to to University of Wisconsin. Yeah, I went to University of Wisconsin and 
that was like the first time that I actually was part of a team, really. In high school, I was like the only runner from my high school. So everything that I did, I had to do it like individually, qualify as an individual to like provincial meets and and everything. Um, so it was all just like me. Everything was like trying to do the best for me. But at Wisconsin, it was all about like the team. Like, you know, it was like, okay, doing well for yourself is good, but more than anything, the bigger picture is how well, you know, or how, how much impact your position has on the team's overall um, success. And it was fun. It was a good, good career. I had learned a lot, so it was fun. In 2011 at Wisconsin, Mo was on the team that won the national title in cross country. Yeah, Wisconsin. we did. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was one of my. That's definitely one of my proudest moments. Like that was awesome. <laughs> we really earned that one. <laughs> what was the What was the team like there? Yeah, that team. You know the the year before that we finished. We should have been second. Um, but we finished third, like we had one of our guys, Elliot Krause, go from like 14th to 230th in the last 100 meters because he just depleted his glycogen storages and just was walking and crawling. Um, so I mean, had he finished, we would have definitely be second. He didn't even score for us. <laughs> there's, there's always somebody, though. Yeah, somebody blows up. It just, yeah, something <laughs> yeah, happens. I've been, I've been the guy that blows up. Yeah, we were, whatever, top three team the year before, and we wanted to win. And we just had this incredible gift fall into our laps, which was um, Ryan Collins. Like, like, he graduated from UVA and had a year of eligibility left cross country indoors outdoors and he's like hey i want to get my masters and i want to go to wisconsin and he was already a well-accomplished runner so getting him that addition just took us to that you know to from being finished like finishing third second to a national contender and we had a solid five guys uh reed connor uh, maverick darling elliot krause ryan and me and Man, like that year we were pretty much undefeated. Like every race we went into, we just, we crushed it. We ran as a team. I mean, you you just talk about Wisconsin at any given moment, which is fine. But yeah. what made you like really fall in love with Wisconsin? Yeah. So for me, like in the recruiting process, one of the things that I wanted was a place where I could have training partners. Like that's one of, you know, I had... This is the thing, like I had in my club coaches, I had probably, you know, the best high school coaches. I mean, for me, like what they did for me was incredible. Like, I mean, they definitely, I had no knowledge of this, of the sport. And I think when you're young, you're naive about a lot of things. And um, a lot of the goals that I went on and accomplished and did, like those goals were created for me by my club coaches. Uh, because I, I I was naive. I didn't know what anything was, you know, like making world teams, making uh, provincial teams, what all those things like, you know, my high school coach, my club high school coach was like, hey, let's try to do this. Let's try to run this fast and and what have you. And one of the things that he said to me was, you know, go somewhere where you'll have great training partners. When I looked at um, the a lot of the universities during the recruiting process, the university that I looked at, I looked at them 
one, you know, I, I, I wanted a good degree, but secondly, like, you know, the type of people that they had. I mean, Mick Byrne, like what he did at Iona, he coached a lot of guys to like really fast times. What I wanted was somewhere where I can go develop and contribute to a team. I definitely was missing out on the team aspect of it. And like winning national titles was like, okay, it was one of the reasons why I went to Wisconsin because I knew it's one of the top caliber NCAA programs every year. What was the team culture there? I think our team was close. Um, we didn't do everything together. I think we gave each other our space and, and everything. But we had a lot of fun. Like, I mean, everybody's still very close. We still talk and what have you. And it was, yeah, it was good. For us, that national title, it's something that we will, the fact that we share that, you know, and I share that with a whole team. Like, I think we're definitely going to be talking about that that national title and that season, you know, when we're old and gray, right? So, sure, it's good. You're almost graduated, you make the Olympic team. And then his junior year of college, he makes the Canadian Olympic team in 2012. Yep, my junior year, yeah, yeah. I, I made the Olympic team, yep. Did you feel like your dream was realized or did you, or was it kind of underwhelming or did it just kind of happen naturally and then all of a sudden you were there? Yeah. yeah. So um, when I was talking uh, to Mick in the recruiting process, I told him, I'm like, hey, in my third year in, in the program, if I choose to come to University of Wisconsin, you know, I one of my goals is to make the Olympic team. And he, you know, I was like, you know, what are we going to do about that? And he's like, hey, we're going to do whatever that is necessary for you to make that team, um, whether it's redshirting and just making you focus on just training for that specific goal. And the summer of 2011, that's like leading up to that national title that fall, um, he just told me, like, he's like, okay. I, 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 cause usually what I did is I went back home for the summer. So I would be training uh, during the summer in Canada. So he's like, okay, you make sure to get your mileage in, get, get your training in. Um, one, most importantly for for this national title, um, but two, also, you know, for a chance at being strong enough to get the standard for the Olympics. And I was like, okay. And that summer I put in great work, like my best summer of work. And that obviously that fall, the type of training we were doing was, you know, to compete with the best at NCAAs. And so we did some incredible work there. That winter, I actually, he's like, okay, we're going to redshirt you. And we're going to just, you're going to be by yourself and you're just going to be focused on training for the Olympics pretty much um, or getting the standard for, you know, running, trying to run 27, 45. And that's pretty much what I did that winter, uh, that spring and at Payne Jordan, which is one of, it was one of the best 10Ks that year, um, just snuck under the, the standard and realized and fulfilled the long dream of mine um i have to ask what when you when you had that dream of of making the olympics and you said that you were sitting there watching tv who what race were you watching do you remember yeah i watched the 15 hisham al garouge i watched that that was an incredible race 5k with hisham al garouge and bekele and Eliud kipchoge and then the 10k with bekele as well and I mean, those races really like stand out. 
a lot of like I mean, a lot of the Canadians during that time, Deanne Cummins, um, Gary Reed, I believe was there. And he's somebody that we always cheered for, like the years. I think that might have been his first Olympics. So he was still kind of up and coming. But the years after that, like he was somebody that I that we cheered for, like me and my brothers, every Saturday or whatever. Those races were the races that stand out from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, actually, like the other, like the other big event that I that we really watched was uh, kayaking. What? Yes, like in the Olympics, and Adam Vancouverden, who's like to this day he's still like one of my like heroes, Canadian guy. I like he won like a couple of kayaking races, and I actually got to meet him in 2012. Nonchalantly, like he just comes up to me, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Adam." I'm just like, I know who you are, like. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was very, very interesting. So yeah, watch that too. Yeah, I guess you never know, man. Yeah, someone's watching. I some, guess. Some future Olympian. <laughs> what was his first Olympic experience like? I mean, you realize like how big it is. And it was in London, right? So in London is just very centralized location in Europe and actually de- like developed world. So you just saw like just so many people, like just the city in itself is big and there's crowds. But I think like the, the people that came to watch the the spectacle that is the Olympics was just overwhelming. Like everywhere you go, just people are just around the village. It was just crazy. And obviously the crowds were just insane and just loud. Um, it was deafening. I remember like in that 10K, I couldn't hear my, myself breathe. Like it was just that loud. And I was just like, this is crazy. Definitely it was a good experience. You see like you know how big it is but after that honestly after i came back after the race i was like oh man i wish i did i did better and i think that's the competitor in me like i'm fairly competitive you know so i was definitely certainly i was happy to be there you know what i'm saying and obviously the big accomplishment and the and and the thing that took all of my energy to do was to make it there so i was certainly happy to be there but once you're there, you're like, okay, I, I want to do better. I want to be like top 10. I want to be whatever. I was 18th, I believe. And I was like, ah, man, you didn't run that fast. You're 18th. Like, that's like, that's not even middle of the pack. So I was kind of hard on myself. I was like, dang it. Like, I felt like a little bit unfulfilled. I was like, okay, dang it. So that year when I came back in 2013 for, for school, I was like, okay, I want to win NCAAs, and I tried really hard to win NCAA titles and won zero NCAA <laughs> titles. Um, but I did uh, go to the World Championships the next year, did the 10K, and I was ninth. So, and that was my goal. I was like, okay, you were 18th the year before, now let's try to be top 10, and, and I did that. But I definitely learned a lot, obviously, like competing with a lot of people. I mean, it's told me that I have some abilities to compete with the with the best. So that's, I think that's the big takeaway from 2012. Mm. And then in 2016, you qualify in both the 10 and the 5. You're yes. running professionally for Jerry. Yes. After being ranked top 10 in the world, Mo was now running the 10,000 meter in the 2016 Rio Olympics. In 2012, he was just happy to be there. But now suddenly he had something to lose. It went terribly. Man, I don't even know what happened. Like, whenever I think about that race, I just cringe because I was certainly fit. I was certainly like prepared. But it was one of those things where 
you expect something to happen and it doesn't happen and you just freak out like just absolutely freak out and i think more than anything i was definitely nervous before what i remember leading up to to that race was i was certainly really nervous it was just like one of those nerves that's like just sick to your stomach kind of where you throw up before uh yeah pretty much i didn't throw up but pretty close um and i was i think i exerted a lot of my energy leading up to the race and right before even i stepped on the on the track and pretty much the first 5k 6k really like just took myself over the edge when the real racing started i just i just had nothing left pretty much just just froze and was just like embarrassed like pretty much i was like oh this is this is embarrassing you know and that's exactly what i i looked at the results like right after that race like just when we were going back to the hotel uh, with jerry and i mean jerry told me like okay you're allowed to look at the results that one time and that's pretty much what i told myself as well i was like just look at it okay looked at it i was like terrible like 32nd or something like that that last uh, ran like I don't know two minutes two and a half minutes off my PB so it was just a terrible race but I looked at it and I just said oh that's terrible and I've never watched that race either never watched at, at all and mainly it was try to like things to try to get me, myself ready for the 5k I mean you need to have a short memory in this sport without a doubt and yeah. I guess you do because you came back in the 5k how yeah, well, 5K went well. The final went well, but I think... He's being very modest. He got fourth and was only a few seconds away from getting a bronze medal. I think more than anything, you know, so we're, there were four days between the 10K and the 5K prelims. So I pretty much was like, okay, forget about the final. Like, that's like eight days away or something like that. Nine days away. You got to make it there first. And I think like emotionally, mentally, like I had, like I went through like a lot of up and downs the four days before the prelims. And I was just like embarrassed. I was angry at myself. Uh, I didn't have a roommate. Um, so I was just, most of the time I was just in my room, just like, just, like just cussing at myself. I'm like, <laughs> you know, what, what did you do? And it took a lot for me to like get myself together and gather myself for that prelim. And I think I, I, I did a good job and did what I needed to do to qualify. And then once I qualified for the final, I was just like, okay, just give yourself a chance. Like, that's pretty much what I told myself. I was like, just run. And that's pretty much what I tell myself these days is before races, I just tell myself, just run. Like, right before the race starts, I say, just run. Don't even think. Just run. Like, one, you're prepared. Co- I mean, Jerry's is an incredible coach physically you are prepared and it's just the mental aspect that i think is the hardest for a lot of athletes you know the doubting the all that and i think you know rio the experience the low that i experience and bringing myself back to normalcy um over a period of a week a week yeah i think i think that's big and i def- i think it helped me grow and it's some it's definitely lessons that i will carry with me for the rest of the remaining of, of my running career. Really interesting to me uh, as a teammate, how you started running basically on your own. You were running by yourself. I mean, you do, you've done a lot kind of by yourself. You run by yourself. You went to essentially a new country and school where your parents didn't speak English. So you're kind of going to school by yourself. Yeah. 
independent. Because, you know, so, so I'm, I'm the eldest of three. So I certainly, like, told myself at a fairly young age, like, I have to, like, set a good example for them, you know. So I try to be, you know, I pretty much was forced to be kind of like a father figure, you know, fairly, fairly early for my young brothers. And I grew up fairly, early, you know, early. Like, I, for me, like, adolescence wasn't, it wasn't a thing for me. I was, like... I think fairly dedicated and you know I think um, there were some good opportunities that came came my way and I tried taking it the best advantage of, of those opportunities so yeah 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 so yeah and, and I mean you have man yeah I'm thinking about my friend here uh, Reed Buchanan who's in Mammoth by himself just like training by himself yeah you know you don't see the, the results uh, for a long time like yeah. when you, you when you're doing something, obviously you sought help. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I certainly had help, and I think, you know, the combination of coaches that I had, high school, college, and then now professional, I think they complemented each other so well. And I think, like I'm telling you, like the type of training that I was doing in high school and in college and now is very similar. I'm telling you, like I, I did similar workouts that I'm doing with Jerry in high school and, and, and in college. And I think, you know, seamless transition of training is something that really helped me. Um, and certainly like, I've had a lot of good training partners. Like I, in my club, like I had some good training partners in my club in high school and then in college. And then here I had incredible, you know, I mean, I trained with some of the best uh, athletes in the world. And I think that's that's that definitely helps me. Probably Bowerman, one of the the best assets is the group. Mainly, yeah, you're trying to do like individual accomplishments, you know, for yourself because there really isn't a team aspect of it. You know, that we're there isn't a team events that we do together. You know, it's mainly individual success, but I think it's still a team. Um, and I think the group, you know, I think for me when I came here, I was fairly young still. But the group like helped helped me and sheltered me. And I think those first year, like 2015, a lot of the guys were so much better than me. And I was just right there with them and just kind of working in silence. And, you know, in 2016, 2015, pretty much all of 2015 and then 2016 spring, I was still like just kind of working in silence. And, you know, the group definitely sheltered me and helped me and I like that well my my big shortcoming this year probably was I just got a little bit too greedy yes and uh wasn't patient I, I had a good indoor season you know I had a big jump and I yeah. just got really excited and now yep. I'm, I'm busted in the in the future it will be a lot easier to just run in silence yeah yeah you know this I think I what I did is I listened the guys who were here before me and you know, Ryan was somebody that really helped me. Evan, who's been here for a long time, like, you know, he pretty much from 20 all the way till now, like, had like experienced Jerry's training and everything. And I, t I talked to those guys and they just said, okay, just relax, man. Like just whatever you did in, in, in college, like forget about that mentality of that college mentality of hammering every single day, have the great workouts, just crushing workouts. And I just pretty much said, okay, I, I didn't even really care about the mileage, like for the first year and a half that I was with the group, 
I was just doing pretty much what everybody else was doing and I was just hanging on at workouts. It, it worked and here I am. Yeah. Right. And I, I definitely was just hanging on in workouts, but my shortcoming was probably like I felt I had to hit a certain mileage in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's like a college mentality that yeah. needs to end. Yeah. And yeah, because yeah. it's, yeah. it's more about I mean, just so, being able to, to do the workouts every week. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, you know, I think, you know, to do well, like professionally, you got to get your mileage. I think that's that's where you get your strength. Mo and I then started talking about patience in the sport. I think I've always been patient, I guess you can say. I, mean, I try to be patient. Like, I, I mean, you have to be. You, you open up, you keep running 343 or 342. I know. I got to be patient. Yeah, I'm still patient. <laughs> Just yeah. so everyone knows, like Mo will open up a season every year like a 340 something. Yeah. I, I and then he'll run the like 13 flat. Yeah. The next. Yeah, I suck at the fifteen. Like, uh-huh. I mean, Dan. I definitely agree with Dan Hewling that I'm probably the worst fifteen hundred meter guy. Like, I'm terrible. <laughs> I know. See, fifteen is tough, man. Like, it's just a grind. Like, just literally like running off the edge. You no, know, here's good. a hot take: the fifteen is the easiest race. <sighs> man. I, yeah. I doubt that. No, it is. It's not. It doesn't hurt as much as the eight hundred, and it's short enough that it doesn't hurt the whole time. For me, like speaking physically, I mean, 15 is definitely one of the toughest distance events. Like, I'd say I'm—I'll be biased here, you know—that I'd say the, the the 5K hurts the most because oh, yeah. you're redlining for so long. But the 15 is, from my experience, running off the edge. Yes, it's only for three and a half, whatever three and three quarters. And that's really hard. Like, that's really really hard, and you have to have some incredible like incredible environment incredible circumstances to run well in the 15 i feel so especially for us like 5k guys how do you feel about your season going on this year man 1301 last year are you gonna do it this year you know i ran 1301 people look at that and say dang like you know you ran 1310 the year before and 1301 is whatever nine nine second pb Dang, like that's that's I mean, how much further can you push that? And you know, I, I felt that I left a lot on the board last year and the year before that too. I think in a really good race where I ran smart, an ideal race. And then I think last year I was certainly in sub thirteen shape, I think, in ideal conditions and what have you. So I mean that's I think you're in it right now, man. See, I don't, I don't like to think of like the 13 barrier, you know, like if you start <laughs> I, thinking I think about, about it, it. You, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to jinx yourself, jinx yourself. So, you think so I try, yeah, I try, I, I'm telling you, like I try to make, you know, I try to simplify races, just run, like that's it. Like that's all I'm thinking about and um, trying to compete with people and. Uh, last question, man. What kind of poetry do you write? Ooh. Do you write poetry? I sure do, man. <laughs> no, I would I wouldn't call it poetry, honestly. Like it's scribbles, like it's just thoughts on things and on on stuff, you know. Sounds like, like poetry a little bit, right? So, like my grandma was a was a great poet, like, and I my mom one of the things that she really passed on to me was stories about my grandma and the poetries of my grandma, you know. So me and my mom like have that deep connection. You know, really, the the really funny thing is when we moved to Canada, 
the first few months it was cold we didn't really have like um any form of uh, transportation and like we used to take like the bus and i you know my mom was like hey come with me the one day come with me to the to the grocery store we'll just take the bus and it'll be a 30 minute journey okay i was like okay and it was cold it was i remember this it was really really cold the bus was taking too long to get him and i just freaked i remember just yelling at the you know, not yelling at my mom, but like just being upset at the situation. I'm like, dang it, mom. Like, you know, why did we even come here? Like to Canada, like this is too cold, you know? And, you know, my mom like just kind of like looked, looked at me. She's like, you know, mom, like relax. Um, and she, out of the top of her head, like just conjured up an, uh, a poem, you know, to like just quiet me pretty much, you know, to be like, and I, and I remember like just listening to that poem in Somali I was like, oh, okay, okay. And I remember just being quiet for the rest of, for rest of the time. And, you know, so, you know, like my grandma was a great poet. My mom has um, composed some poetry and definitely has the ability to do it. And, and I was always a deep lover of poetry, but I never dared to write anything in high school. When I moved from, uh, from home to university in Wisconsin, that's when I kind of, I mean, obviously I was in an um, environment of education and you know so much reading and deep conversations and stuff like that so i was you know i I came across like some spoken word artists and was kind of like just kind of instilled a bit of uh, rhythm in me a little bit more and i my freshman year i listened to a lot of tupac tupac shakur and you know he was a poet um and a lot of his um uh, music was very emotional and you know, talk about real stuff. And, you know, the first thing that I ever wrote was actually inspired by Tupac. Like, you know, there's a, there's a, a song that, that I was listening to. It was like, you know, being born with less, I must confess, only adds on to the stress like that. And I took that and it just kind of rung in me. And I was just like, I was thinking about like, you know, like I, I had a bad race or something like that. And I was like, the agony of defeat leaves my system in a mess yeah i can't remember it like and i haven't you know you know read that poem in a long time but you know that created i created a lot of the poems that i wrote early on were just kind of they were inspired by each other kind of and i haven't read those poems that i wrote like or whatever spoken words stuff that i wrote in a long time somewhere in the middle of college i can't i mean i was always like into reading and listening to somali poetry I came across a lot of like translated stuff and I was like, okay, let me try, like, let me try to like translate. And I translated it and that created, forced me to pretty much create some of my own stuff as well. And here and there, like I've, uh, I write and, you know, I, I have like my, on my phone, like the note, like I just start writing some stuff and read and stuff like that. So I think I have, I've written the last two years maybe 20 30 pieces that i've you know but mainly it's just for self-consumption i've never really shared it with with anybody so yeah (laughs) i'm kind of afraid to share it with with anybody we should get one on here man (laughs) is there anyone oh man all right i'm gonna look at them like eventually (laughs) and it's gonna be read on the podcast yeah well I mean, you want me to, like, read one for, for you, or... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be included. But it'd be nice. And here it is, a poem by Muhammad Ahmed. Untitled. 
just because I grew up with a lot of her poems, like my mom reciting them and and stuff. Uh, like I you know I a lot of poems and a lot of sayings that she said it was kind of like inspirational for me. And um, so I was thinking about her. Like she passed away in like two thousand and what is it, two thousand five. And I never, I didn't really get to like really see her when I was, you know, somewhat like an adult, you know, in adult life. And I wish I, I had that. Um, so I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, the one time I was just kind of thinking about her and this came into into my mind and I just wrote it down and this is, this is what that is. Though time and distance did displace us too, far too soon for you to sow on my tender mind your endless wisdom, the hardships which you've endured, the losses and physical blows you've taken from all the elements that are known to pass on the desert and men too. An illustration of your grit, strength, and fortitude, but most importantly, the missed opportunities to hear from the watering hole, the nuances and backstories to the syllables regarding the legendary tales told on the Senag. Of all those countless times you came to blows with men and women in that most treasured pastime of the Somalis, consisting of rebuttal after con rebuttal, and how it was that on every instance you ever interlocked horns with an interlocutor, your every utterance managed to leave nothing but mouths agap and gasping with nothing to reply, and nothing short of a standing ovation from those present witnesses to your greatness. And as to why still on every occasion your composition received nothing in return, out of generosity chose to deviate from the preset rules of engagement and pardoned anyways. And now that the dirt does divide us too, Know my inheritance from you standing with me at all times, though I carve mine in different tongue to yours. The giant tree that was Bullo still remains in the heart and a hero to this grandson of hers, the eldest from your only and dearest daughter, Halima. That's my, you know, it's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a tribute to, 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 my, to my grandma. So, yeah. Beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's single, by the way. <laughs> Mohamed, ladies. He's still single out there. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Yep, that's gonna that's that. That's gonna conclude it. Okay. Who's like your that. favorite Canadian of all time? My God. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. There's so many good ones. Okay, uh, who's your, just think of a Canadian off the top of your head. I mean, for me, like just being a definitely like being a um, like a sports person, like Wayne Gretzky, you know, comes to mind. I think that's what Americans would say too. Yeah, I mean, sure, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's let's go with Wayne Gretzky. I mean, cool legend. I mean, you know. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Okay. No, no I just love this. Okay, that will be our podcast for June. That was Muhammad Ahmed. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can reach him at Mo Speed, same name on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to Sidious Mag. You can follow us at POAM Podcast on Twitter. And if you want to see us on Instagram, it's just price of a mile. Thanks again for listening this month and check out Sidious Mag for more episodes.